Hey everyone, Stacy here, the head cat of the Community Cats podcast. I wanted to share with you this fascinating episode from the Kindred podcast with sisters Kate and Jen. Their interview with Dr. Kristen Vitali is thought-provoking. As you know, I am all about solutions. How to make things better for cats? Well, this podcast is just a bit different. It's about how we as a society perceive cats. How do we think about them? And what do we think they think about us? Dr. Vitali is doing research on the feline-human bond, which does exist. If you like what you heard today, visit the Kindred Podcast website at kindredpodcast.co and subscribe to their show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts to hear more heartwarming conversations with Kate and Jen. Welcome to Kindred, hosted by me, Kate, and my sister, Jen. In this podcast, we explore our human relationship to the natural world. In connecting to this planet, we also connect to understanding, compassion, and empathy. How can we see ourselves not as separate or above animals in nature, but a critical and integrated part of an active ecosystem? Through conversations with animal advocates, scientists, conservationists, and many others, we look to inspire a new awareness of how and why we connect to animals and nature in order to repair and restore our relationship to the natural world. Kindred, everyone. Hello, sister. Uh, virtual, is that what we're doing today? We are. We're doing virtual. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had enough of in-person recording. It's overrated. <laughs> I have a little story for you. Did I tell you about my owl story? I don't believe so. Well, pull up a chair and pour yourself Take a comfortable seat. <laughs> comfortable seat. <laughs> Oh, for a story great I'd love to hear an owl story so the other day I was driving to the gym which means this was probably two months ago I can't believe I haven't told you this yet so driving to the gym which for all of you who don't know we belong to gfit gym in Huntington Valley and media and Cherry Hill um this is not an advertisement we are not sponsored by them but fitwomen.com do <laughs> um, even gfit so I was driving to the gym and it's around 5 30 in the morning so it was at this time just getting light and I look over and there's a gathering of four owls so right where were they in a tree no they were they were on the ground like in somebody's yard so as I'm coming up upon them, I look, I'm like, whoa, there's a, there's an owl sitting there. And I'm like, maybe that's like another decoy owl. And as I'm driving by, I look over and there's literally four barred or bared owls. Barred, barred, yeah. Owls, uh-huh. all, and they're tall. They're like a foot and a half tall. These are big owls just hanging out. And I've never seen anything like that. I, I don't didn't know they even hung out in groups. Well, I wonder if there was like mommy and daddy and the two teenage kids. I have no idea, but it was crazy. I've never seen anything like that. So if any of you out there have seen a a gathering of owls, please uh, let us know. Cause that was, it was, it was incredible. And I slowed way, way down. I was like, yeah. at them. then I drove away. Cause I didn't want to like, you know, startle them and make them fly away. But that was really very, very cool. So that's my cool story that just on the ground too, were they yeah. eating something? Nope, they're all just standing there staring at each other. Having their morning meeting. Hmm. Yeah. 
We so, need an owl expert now. I need to understand what this was. All in all, owl experts. So then what I did was I was like, you know what? I'm actually going to look up, you know, because there's always those things of like, uh, you know, like murder of crows and uh, a ladder of, um, of what are they called? Giraffes. So yeah. I did a little search and I found this hilarious article. Actually, it's so funny. It's called, I found it on the audubon.org and it's by Nicholas Lund. And so the title of the article is, no, it's not actually a murder of crows. So he goes and talks about how there is no such thing as a parliament of owls, which I actually thought, I think it was, I was like, I think it's like a something of owls anyway. So he wrote this very funny article about how none of that is a thing. And he went- Is that really true? Yep. And he went and talked to all these scientists and they're like, uh, nope, haven't heard of that. Yeah, no, there is no, um, you know, like chain of bobo links and a fall of woodcocks. And it's just actually- so Someone just made all that up? Someone just made it all up. And I think what he said was it came from like- way 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 back where yeah. they sort of made up these things so anyway i'll put a link into that article um in the show notes but actually just thought it was hilarious that it's all a bunch of bullshit so that was just a fun little thing um that came from seeing for a parliament not really of four hours i was just like blown away by that it was crazy huh i'm super curious what they were doing curious what your cool animal story is hmm. <laughs> well thanks for giving me time to think of one so. oh, yeah. anyway moving on <laughs> anyway um yes yeah, so that was very cool so on to our guest today that i'm very excited to talk about per usual um who aren't i excited to talk about or two actually um today we have a cat expert her name is dr Kristen vitali and I am going to give you a little bio of her straight from her website. Kristen Vitale, PhD, is a researcher and educator in animal behavior, animal welfare, and human-animal interaction. Her main area of work focuses on companion animal behavior, specifically cat social cognition, cat behavior, and the human-cat interaction. I don't know if you guys remember, we talked to Monique Udell. Do you remember her, Dr. Mo Dr. Udell? I do, I do. I do too. And she was out of Oregon. Um, so Kristen worked with her. And um, I think we even might have mentioned her. Yeah, uh, you did. Yep. In, the, in the episode with uh, Dr. Udell. So um, that's just very cool. The other really exciting thing is that um, Kristen is part of a Netflix documentary that just came out, I think a few weeks ago. Um, so if you're listening to this out of time, it's it would be sometime in September, 2022. Um, but you can literally just um, search, it's called Inside the Mind of a Cat. And um, it's really fun. It's really cute. Uh, it was fun to see her um, in that documentary after we had talked with her. So check that out. Um, yeah, very cool. So yeah, I think, you know, I don't know if we said this before, but we, I love cats. Cat 
our producer loves cats, LOL. And um, I know you love them in your way too. So oh, I do love cats. I'm just not going to have any more. Yeah. Fair, 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 fair. Yeah. I will definitely have more. I miss my two baby kitties so much um, or my geriatric 18 year old kitties so much. But um, yeah, I it's it was really fun to talk to Kristen and just get sort of confirmation of what I already know and some new things that I didn't know. And her research is really fun. It's really interesting. And it's just myth busting too. a lot of things that people think about cats that are absolutely wrong. So um, really looking forward to this conversation today. Uh, but before we get to that, uh, you know, the old, could you follow, rate and review us um, and message us if you have any questions, comments, or anything in between. Suggestions. Uh, suggestions. We sure <laughs> love those. Email at us at thekindredpod at gmail.com. And then you can head to our website for all of our links and show notes. Um, anything we talk about, we will put up in at kindredpodcast.co. And then again, just keep talking to us with your friends and family. Send them like episodes that you think they might like it really is helpful and we super appreciate it so thanks for all that and we will see you for the takeaway after the interview with dr Kristen patali Kristen, thank you so much for joining us today welcome to kindred um could you please introduce yourself and tell us what you do Hi, uh, I'm Kristen Vitale. I'm an assistant professor of animal health and behavior at Unity College. Awesome. Well, we are so excited to talk to you all about cats today, um, but just wanted to start and get a little background. How are, I actually want to know why did you come to your current research with cats? Yeah, so a lot of my research has to do with cat social behavior and their interactions with people. So some of my current work is actually looking at how those interactions may differ cross-culturally, specifically in the United States and Japan. And I really came to this just because there is a lack of research in this area. There's a lack of research on cat social behavior, but specifically cross-culturally how these, um, how human perception may differ, as well as the cat's behavior toward people may differ. So I guess I, yeah, I really came to it just because there's a lack of work on this topic and it was um, something that I saw needed to be done. Well, I love that. And this is, it's great for us to hear about it. It's great for cats, um, but just a little history. Like what is the history of our, I would say our misunderstanding and interpretation of cat behavior through the ages? I mean, why is there superstition surrounding them and why are they stigmatized so extremely, especially when we've lived with them for so long? Yeah, we definitely have a complicated relationship with cats. You know, cats have been very well respected and worshipped. Um, some of actually the earliest associations with between cats and humans, um, which occurred on the island of Cyprus, we saw that cats were being buried with humans, which indicates, you know, some reverence for them. And then in Egypt, we know that they were well-respected. They were a part of their religion and their art. But right. then, you know, sometime around the Middle Ages, they became associated with witches. And 
the uh, this idea that cats are unlucky, uh, the whole thing with a black cat crosses your path, that's not a good thing. That's bad luck. Right. So um, I can't really say for sure why these things happened, but in my opinion, I think part of it has to do with just the cat's behavior in general. Cats are pretty um, seen as pretty independent animals and maybe as pretty sneaky little animals. Mm-hmm. You know, cats are very agile. They can jump up high and maybe surprise you. And in some ways their behavior might seem a little magical. Um, so I do think that some of the traits of cats um, that make them something I really like, a species that I really enjoy, mm-hmm. could also be seen as being sneaky or maybe manipulative, just depending on the context and who's who's interpreting their behavior and what time period they're living in. Yeah, and I feel like so much of why cats get a bad rap is because they seem to be juxtaposed to dogs and dog behavior in general, you know, because they be, behave differently in the public sphere, I think, they're thus interpreted as aloof or just, you know, they only love you when they want something. So what are the biggest misconceptions about cats and their behavior in context to humans? Yeah, I think you definitely hit a, a, an issue that I see a lot is this comparison of dogs and cats. Mm. And it's, it's really unfair because you think about it, who, and, and, you know, I love dogs as well. It's not that I am an anti-dog person or anything, but who made dogs the model for how all other animals should behave. Um, And cats have their own unique ways of interacting with people that Mm -hmm. are both distinct, but also very similar to the way dogs actually behave with us. So it's, it's kind of a weird thing, but um, one example I could give that is maybe a way cat behavior has been misinterpreted is our behaviors like aloe rubbing, where the cat rubs a part of their body against their owner. And a lot of times I'll help you hear people say, oh, that's the cat claiming you. They don't actually love you. They're just say marking you as theirs. Hmm. But really what we see about aloe rubbing is that it appears to be a behavior, a social behavior related to, um, it's called an affiliative behavior, basically a friendly social behavior that's seen between pair, uh, bonded individuals. Hmm. And, um, the extent to which a cat is actually using that to claim them as theirs is not really well supported. And in fact, we see aloe rubbing increase when a cat has been separated and then reunited with their owner, which indicates more that this behavior is related to attachment and um, a reunion behavior more than claiming them. Um, I could go more into the whole territorial uh, view of cats, because I don't necessarily agree that all domestic cats should be considered territorial anyway. Um, But yeah, I do think that there's a lot of misconceptions that when cats are actually being social with us, I think people might read that as, it's not social behavior, you know? Um, Just because the cat might not be jumping up and greeting you, they might be greeting you with a rub. And so it's still a greeting, but it's just a different species uh, specific type of greeting. Exactly. And can you sort of explain what aloe rubbing, what is that term? Yeah, so aloe just means to another. So rubbing on another. And then you can see object rubbing, which is where the cat's rubbing as well, but that's not on a social partner. That's Mm -hmm. on an object in their environment. 
Gotcha. Okay. How, how do you spell aloe? Is that like aloe vera plant or? It's A L L O okay. and then rubbing. Okay. Interesting. Okay. So now when cats are in a reactive state, like i.e. like hissing, spitting, growling, like what is actually going on with them? I think, and I think like that, that type of behavior and our lack of understanding of this, it contrib contributes to the stereotypes of cats and why so many people then say, I hate cats and cats are evil. So how, how can, when this behavior presents itself, how, how do we understand it? How can we reduce the stressors in cats lives, you know, i.e. like adopting a cat into the home, introducing into the home, you know? Yeah, definitely. So um, I, it, it's so interesting because if, again, these are generalizations, but if you have a person view a cat hissing and growling, I actually just taught last week, now that I think of it, a youth program where I show different body language indicators of cats. And one of them is where the cat's mouth is open uh -huh. and they're hissing. And one of the, the children described the cat as being mean. Mm -hmm. um, if rather than this cat is feeling threatened or is defending themselves. Right. And um, I do think it's just a difference in how we're viewing that behavior. Yeah. Um, and it might also be, in my opinion, I think that, especially where I live in the United States, cats are not socialized very well, especially to strangers. Mm -hmm. We don't take them out of the house. Really, the only time they go out of the house is to go to the vet. Right. They might not be socialized to novel places, novel people. So you might run into situations more often where the cat is nervous and doesn't want to interact. So they might just have a small hiss to let the person know, Hey, back off. Yeah. Doesn't mean that the cat is mean to the person rather. They just don't have that experience to feel comfortable. Right. Um, but when you compare that to dogs, dogs are very well socialized. They go off places to dog parks. They are, you know, constantly interacting with strange people. So you might find that a dog's less likely to just randomly growl at you. Now, um, that's just my opinion, but I do think that there's differences in the way we treat these species that then uh, lead into differences in how they react to us and how we perceive them. Yeah, I love that. I've never quite thought of that in that way where they're just not socialized to outdoor and human sort of interaction in that specific way. That is so interesting that I'd never really thought of it that way. And that also, I love the program you were talking about was uh, talking with teens and thinking about how there's so much, can be so much negative interaction between younger people, teens and cats. And that's a whole other rabbit hole we don't need to go down. But um, that sort of takes me to thinking about, does this care differ when we are looking at feral cats and at outdoor cat communities? Because that's where I think a lot of misunderstanding is created for cats and can really create unsafe environments for them. Yeah, so um, our relationship with outdoor free roaming cats can really widely differ because um, free roaming cats outdoors are going to be coming from a variety of populations. Some of these cats are going to be um, previous house cats that became strays either by accident Accident or because they were abandoned. So some of these cats are going to be well socialized to people. 
Well, whereas other cats are not going to be well socialized to people and some may actually have very little to no socialization experience with people, which is what we can call feral cats. Right. So, um, yeah, the care will differ because some cats will come right over to you and maybe be very easy to care for. Whereas feral cats, if you need to, uh, neuter or spay them. You're going to have to trap them. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not going to approach you. They're not going to want to be handled or pet or anything like that. So yeah, definitely you need to really consider the socialization history of the individual when you're caring for them. Um, and I, I saw this firsthand for my master's degree because I worked with a colony of free ranging cats living on a farm. Yeah. Some of the cats were well socialized. Some of them you couldn't even go near. So it, it yeah. really differs. Yeah. Yep. And so can you give an example of how, I mean, you know, even, even coming into a home with a family that has cats that if you're unfamiliar with cats or you live in an environment where there are feral cats, what is, what is behavior for, for that we can exhibit to cats that could help create, um, um, a safe and mutually um, effective introduction, if you know what I mean. Yeah, so um, again, it, it'll kind of depend what that cat's history with everything is, where you're going to start with them. Right. But in general, I kind of talk about you want um, scent, sight, then touch. Okay. So scent, as in you want the cat to be able to smell you, um, to have that, uh, cats are very scent oriented. So being able to allow them to smell you or a social partner before they've even met that individual uh, or physically interacted with them. So for example, if I was introducing two cats before they've ever seen each other, I'm going to take one item from one cat and one item from the other cat and swap them and then build positive associations with those items. So when they play with the toy from the other cat, they get treats, they get praise. So they're already associating something good with the scent before any kind of uh, interaction has occurred. And then we can move up into uh, sight. Mm -hmm. So the cats might be able to see each other through a barrier, but again, they can't physically interact Mm -hmm. and we'll build positive associations through that, um, either by playing with each cat or feeding them, depending on the individual's And then we can move up to physically interacting with them. Mm -hmm. So how fast you go through that is really going to depend on the cats involved. Or if you're trying to socialize them to a person, again, the same idea goes. You don't want to just go up and pick up the cat and have maximum physical interaction right off the bat. You want to slowly work up to it. At first, just sit in the room with the cat, then talk to the cat, then put your hand out for them to smell all of these things are just building up to the interaction. And can't we relate that as humans? I mean, I don't need you to pick me up and pet me and kiss my head when you we've just met. I mean, this is where like, we can really relate to cats and understanding and taking just a few minutes or a few hours or a few weeks to take the time. But I think that's what's so critical and great about a lot of the work that you're doing is, is can result in these really good here's your to-do, and you just gave us three steps, clear as bell what to do about introducing yourself to cats or cats to each other. And even I think that can go out into the feral outdoor community too. So what is the most surprising cognitive behavior about cats you have discovered during your 
years of research? I'm curious. Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, the most surprising cognitive behavior. So I would have to say, so I, I look at a lot of social cognition. Mm -hmm. um, so that's basically how socially intelligent are cats. Right. And um, this is actually not something I did, but something that I, I guess I was very surprised about was um, cats ability to even just watch our gaze. So by gaze, I mean the direction that we're looking with our eyes. So we had already known that cats would follow pointing cues. So if I point over here, they'll go over there and check it out. Okay. But um, in 2019, it was found that just briefly looking to the side for just a split second was enough for the cat to pick that up and then go over and check out the location. So that plays into, I think, a lot of what I found surprising in my own research, which is just how sensitive cats are to our our behavioral cues and our emotions. And um, this idea that cats don't care about us, aren't paying attention to us is not held up. They have a lot of sociocognitive traits that actually are very equivalent to what dogs are able to do with people. And in my work, we, we did a similar study, well, a, a different study looking at if cats responded to attentional state. So whether the person ignored them or paid attention to them, and we found cats spent more people when they were paying attention to them. Wow. So again, I think that's what's been really surprising, how much cats are picking up on our behavior, how much they're responding to it, and how much we can really influence how they react to us. So if we have these assumptions, my cat doesn't want to interact with me we might be inattentive to them and that might form a cat that is less social to us. Oh, absolutely. I think that's whenever, you know, people say, what, what do you do when you introduce them? I say spend lots of time with them, interact with them, hold them, pet them, talk with them. Um, but just back to that is very surprising to me too. That's an incredibly yeah. highly sensitive awareness that cats have that just even looking to uh, quickly looking like, and they can follow that. And so do you know why, how, why this sensitivity is so developed in them? So um, there's a lot more to learn. Um, in the dog world, a lot of the sensitivity to cognitive traits has kind of been um, attributed to the domestication process. So over domestication, dogs acquired these uh, skills. Um, but I'm, I'm not so sure I'm sold on that for either dogs or cats, because we do see that some of these skills depend on life experience. Uh -huh. And so, um, if, for example, you take a feral cat who has no socialization experience and run the same test, will yeah. we be able to find that they're following human gaze? We don't know because no one's done it, but my thought would be, no, they probably won't be able to follow the gaze. I think that this is based on the history of interaction mm -hmm. between those social partners and something that they learn. Uh -huh. um, it would be really interesting, again, to look at kittens and see, are they doing this when they're born or not? Right. Uh, I can say a spoiler for our research. Um, it's not published yet, but we have found differences in their ability to respond to people based on their age which supports this idea. It's something they pick up as they get older and through interactions with people. Well, does that also support just how highly attuned they are to 
uh, like they're very attuned to their environment, I think yes. in a different way than dogs. So That's I what think I was that thinking. Would support that, right. They're just like, they're very good at paying attention. <clears throat> oh yes. Yes. I mean that whole like curiosity killed the cat It goes to show cats are curious about everything in their environment and they're constantly exploring and looking around. So yeah, I definitely think that there's something in them that just makes them naturally curious and paying attention to their surroundings. And, and maybe it makes them feel smarter. Like you know, we used to have a cat that would follow a laser pointer and I maybe a border collie would do that, but most dogs I know, I don't think would follow a pointer. You know, I just think they have a, they have a, I don't, I don't know if it's actually intellectual advantage, but it makes them seem smarter. Yeah, but they also have that right to your point. Like they also have that the visual is so connected with the physical. They're yeah. super agile and yeah. they enjoy like leaping and stopping and running. And yeah. I was thinking too about the sight thing. Yeah following the gaze when cats are like stalking they sit very still and their eyes are going all over the place and if they but this would be like do they hunt communally though and I don't know that they cats do that but it's an interesting thing thinking they have to have an agility with their with their visual focus so what connects cats and humans like what is it that we can relate to in each other and vice versa. So uh, earlier when we were talking about dogs versus cats, I mentioned that in some ways cat behavior is very different from dogs, but in some ways it's actually very similar. And those similarities are actually not that different from similarities in people. So what I mean by that is another topic that I research is attachment bonds. Wow. So the relationship between a person and their pet. Um, and we see an attachment bond that it's primarily made up of two types of behaviors. One, it has a protective element. So when you're uh, with your attachment figure, you, let me go back actually. Let's, let's look at a kitten and their mother cat. Okay. So a newborn kitten, they're helpless. They're completely dependent on their mother. Mm -hmm. So they need protection. They need protection from predators. So they need to stay near to the mother and in contact with her in order to be protected. If they're separated, they're going to be distressed and they're going to cry. Mm -hmm. um, so those are some of the attachment behaviors we see related to protection, proximity seeking, contact seeking, and distress vocalizations. But we also see this um, important investigatory behavior where the cats need to feel secure enough in order to leave the mother a little bit and go off and explore new situations and learn about the world. Yep. So there's kind of this balance of seeking to be near their attachment figure and then going off from, from them and exploring the world and then coming back, going off, coming back. Um, and so this is something I studied in kittens and adult cats. And we see that in cats, dogs, and even human infants, we see these different types of attachment behavior and they manifest in very similar ways. Mm -hmm. So in cats, we found the three, same three main styles of attachment that have been found in dogs and in humans. So one of these is a secure bond. And that's basically what I've mentioned where they're able to use that attachment figure as a source of security in order to feel confident to go off and explore. But you also have insecure individuals um, who are unable to use their attachment figure in that way and either excessively cling to them or excessively avoid them. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And so this is one huge similarity that is uh, between cats, humans, dogs, and likely other animals as well. We just haven't looked at it. Sure. Um, but yeah, I think that this connection, this attachment bond is something that does connect us as mammals and as uh, just individuals and in social relationships. That's really interesting. And I, I mean, I, I, I don't know, I, I love all animals and I love dogs, but I equally love cats and I love them <clears throat> for what I can relate to them. And I love them for why they're different than dogs too. Um, I just find them fascinating and I love their independence combined with their, um, their affection and their attachment to, to humans too. I think they're a fascinating creature and it's just so interesting to hear your perspective, which is, you know, based on many tests that you've done in your research and um, really, really interesting, really interesting stuff. So Kristen, is there anything that you, that we haven't covered today that you think is important for our, for our audience to hear about cat cognition and behavior? Yeah, one of the things that I've been interested in and working on is cat training. Um, So I've led kitten training and socialization classes and also cat socialization opportunities for adult cats. And I think people are really shocked when they hear that I'm running kitten training classes the same way you would run with dogs. Um, I think our largest class was actually 11 kittens in there. Um, And these are kittens. Sorry, just to interrupt. Is that kittens with their owners? Yes. Mm-hmm. Man, I <laughs> that would be. That's a class I want to go to. Cute. Yeah, it, it was so much fun. Um, they were, it was six weeks long. Each class was six weeks long and we met once a week. The owner would bring their kitten in. Um, and these were kittens three to eight months. So they were a little older, um, slightly out of that sensitive period for socialization. Uh-huh. And um, we did that because we wanted we figured most people are not adopting a one month or two month old kitten. Most people are bringing them home slightly later. So we uh, looked at that age range and kittens learned, um, we based it basically off a puppy class and they learned sit, come when called, go to mat and stay, targeting, walking and harness and leash. And we even um, ended the class with trick behaviors. So like rigging a service bell, jumping through a hoop, we even had someone teach their cat to sit and stay while they were in a kayak. So um, you can definitely teach a wide variety of behaviors to cats. And again, it comes back to this idea that if you believe cats can't be trained, why would you train them? So yeah. I think so much of this is based on what we expect for the animal and not their actual ability. Mm-hmm. And um, the last thing I'll mention about that is I think that some of this untrainability of cats has more to do with the rewards we're using rather than again, the cat's ability. Right. So um, for example, in one of my classes, I had an owner, she had the cat sit and then she put a treat in front of the cat and the cat just smelled the treat and turned its nose up. And the owner was like, see, the cat can't be trained, but the cat did the behavior. The cat sat, they just didn't want the treat. It didn't act as a reinforcer. So fair enough. (laughs) Yes. Right. Exactly. So, um, that's actually something we saw a lot where that, especially in this unfamiliar place, cats were not eating treats. And, um, that led us to another study in which we looked at what type of items cats most prefer. Mm -hmm. And we found 37% of cats most preferred food. 
but 50% of cats most preferred social interaction. Mm -hmm. And so you might need, if you're finding your cat is just not motivated by food, you might need to use a form of social interaction, just like praising them, petting them or playing with them. And that's something we do all the time now. Yeah. Yeah. Like most cats I know, like they can't resist something that's a toy. So maybe that's a reward for them more Mm -hmm. like that to interact. Yeah. That's so interesting. Crumple up the little ball of paper. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have um, the cat do the behavior, like have them sit or whatever you're trying to train and then give them like five seconds of playing with the toy. I'll take the toy away have them sit again, give the toy again, the same way you would give food, but it's just short bouts of play instead. Well, you know, I think it's so fascinating. When we were talking to uh, Dr. Udell a few weeks ago, we talked, you know her? Yeah, she works. Yeah, she was my advisor. Yeah. What I thought was interesting too is I think cats get a bad rap because the, the, the traditional thing is you know, we like dogs because they adore us. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a little bit egotistical. Like, what are you going to do for me? Like this woman, see, you can't train a cat. Well, how about we think about it from the cat's perspective? Like, that's a very new thing, wouldn't you say? Like, that's new to just sort of think of it not from the human-centric perspective, but from the animal. Maybe not new to you people, but new to the general population, I think. Yeah, I don't think it's a way that people are taught to try to think, to put themselves in the animal's shoes. Um, But that's very much something like with these youth outreach programs I do. What if you were that cat? Does it mean you're mean or could you be scared to try to put yourself in their shoes and view it from their perspective, which obviously we can never do, but we can try. Um, So yeah, I, I definitely think so. A quick, quick question. Like people who take their dogs, their cats out on harnesses like I've seen that before and I tend to think does the cat really want to do that or does the person want to do that and would you say that just varies from animal to animal yeah you're going to have a lot of individual variation on whether or not you know how well a cat's going to do it something but I will say that too many people are too too often people are very eager to get their cat out there doing it like they decide my I want my cat to walk on harness and leash The next day they've gotten the harness and leash, it's on the cat and the cat's outside and the cat's uncomfortable. You you got, you have to work up to it. I mean, even with like a puppy or something, you you are often going to be working up to these things. So um, at first step one is just getting the cat used to the harness. And that might be one week, entire week of just getting them used to the harness. Because um, once they're used to the harness, if you take them outside and they're just out there, just being outside for a lot of indoor only cats is going to be very overwhelming. Yeah. So you want to reduce, you know, the stress on the cat. They, you want them already be comfortable in the harness and leash. I'd recommend teaching them targeting, which is where you teach them to tap their nose to the end of something. That way um, we do it with a chopstick. So you can kind of guide their behavior in the harness and leash. Um, that way, again, you have something to distract them with while outside, like, look, it's your target stick. Let's do this for a minute. Um, but yeah, I definitely think I have known many cats who are very comfortable outside walking on harness and leash, going on hikes with people, but it's about working up to it slowly and making sure that individual is comfortable with it. You don't just throw them out there and expect it to happen. Uh, it's something you work up to. Yeah, that's, Absolutely. I wouldn't have thought of that, but that doesn't feel very fair to them to, okay, mm-hmm. now we're going to go out yeah. for an hour and you've never been outside and yep. yeah, <laughs> interesting. 
Well, Kristen, thanks so much for your time and your research and being a beacon of inspiration for us who love cats so much and and the world to understand them and feline behavior better so that we can we can care for them better. Hopefully we can make their lives more safe and helpful and healthy and understood. So thank you so much for your time. This has been an absolutely enjoyable, brilliant conversation. So thanks so much. Thanks for having me. I've enjoyed talking. Hey guys, uh, we are back with the takeaway. Um, love that conversation with, with Kristen. Thank you for your research, your science, your myth busting. I mean, I think my overall takeaway is that Kristen shows that cats are highly intelligent, highly interactive, highly responsive to humans, highly trainable, and very affectionate. So this is, I'm not going to go over her, what she talked about. We just heard that, like her, her, her science and all that. It's just that really, it does to me, I want to push play on this for anybody who says, I hate cats. It's like, so you don't have them, you don't know them, and you hate them. And why, why, why do you also hate something that reacts initially like we do? If I first meet somebody, right? I think a lot of people like go to a house and they meet a cat and the cat either isn't interested or is maybe a little afraid of them or doesn't want you approaching them and picking them up and patting them. I can relate to that. So, so much of what she talked about, I feel like I can actually relate to cats almost better than dogs because they have, they have a discerning sort of personality and in a, in a, in a, in a normal, healthy response to human behavior. Yeah. Like you have to earn a cat's trust a little bit more than, than with a lot of dogs, which I think is yeah, just sort of that, and and in 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 the sense of that, um, like we see something cute and we want it, we right. want to be able to t take it and pick it up and love it, and we get a little resentful when it might not want that back, and it's just it's not the cat's fault. It's just a funny thing how again just our will we want to just assert our will onto everything. <laughs> right, and and why why does it need to, why does it need to interact and love me when we don't even know each other? It's not even familiar right. with me. And, and she said that, you know, a, a lot of the stuff she was talking about too, is kind of like, not from her perspective, but I had in context or in juxtaposition to dogs, right? It's like, and then she was talking about how, if you want to walk your cat on a harness, well, here's how you might do that. And right. we also, we do a lot of training with dogs and I get why people don't do, I get why people don't do a lot of training. It's just that she is now saying, here are scientific studies and proof that you can do all of this stuff. Right. It just would be different with how you train a cat as to how you train a dog. So again, we would have to actually learn a little bit more about them. And it's that thing too, it's education. If you are educated in something, you can uh often appreciate it more you know what i mean like uh you think about um like even people even different cultures like how it's so easy for people to be like that's so stupid that or that's so weird that they do this or this or this but if you learn why 
they do that, then all of a sudden it's like, oh, it's I guess it's not that weird. It's just not familiar to us. <laughs> it's not familiar to us. And so to me, like her her conversation and the whole the 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 research and the science backing this up is just more confirmation to us as human beings that you have to you have to sometimes work a little to understand a being <laughs> it doesn't make them bad or wrong yeah and why is that a problem to ask for, for us to just sort of like get the story on, yeah. on a lot of different levels and yeah. so uh, it is so cool that the science is there to be like nope cats are highly trainable and like love that when she said you could walk your dog I mean, you could walk your cat on a harness. You would just have to learn how to do it. It would be a little different process than how you would do it with a dog. It still could happen. And, and is, this not, is this not intuitive, people? Like, y your cat lives indoors. Okay, most cats are indoors. A lot. Okay, indoor, right. indoor. You're going to throw on a harness and just drag it down the sidewalk, and that's fine? Why, why does that make sense? It doesn't. So, <laughs> we just want it to be. Take a beat. Take a beat. Let's just sort of like, you know, and and... And listen to this podcast. Listen to what she has to talk about, and then watch watch the Netflix. Um, yeah, I'm lo really looking forward to watching that. Yeah, inside the mind of a cat. It's it's yeah. it's great, and um, I believe it's her cat, Carl. Um, <laughs> Cute. Oh my gosh, he's so so smart and really like very keen. He really he's super interactive. He is like he's super smart. Um, and the rest of the, um, she's sort of intertwined. It's all intertwined through the whole documentary, but it's fantastic. Thank you, Netflix, for doing that documentary because it's really fun. So that was a really, that was a really fun, a really fun watch. So thank you so much to um, Kristen for her work and her science. And I am going to throw this right in the face of cat haters from now on this, um, force it in their ear, their ears to to hear what has, she has to say which is which is great we need we need uh cat support people this is fantastic so, yeah all great you. information yeah, yeah. totally thanks. cool thanks so much to her for for joining us and thanks guys for listening really appreciate it um if you want to learn more about what um she is up to her website is i'm going to say it and then spell it maoise.com and that is spelled M-A-U-E-Y-E-S.com. So check it out. You can also follow her on Instagram. She's got great content on there for all things cats. And um, under Mao Eyes also or her name? Yes. Yep. It's also under that on Instagram. And um, yeah, check it out. And uh, let's stop hating people. All right. Peace and lots of love. Peace and love. Peace and love. Kindred is hosted by me and my sister, Jen. Produced by Kat Gaddy and myself. Sound production and editing by Dan Cooper. Original music by Ellie Grace. And our Kindred artwork was created by Lindsay Coffin. Please follow, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And feel free to contact us through our website at kindredpodcast.co, where you can also find links to our socials, Patreon page, and show notes.